Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. back to Jacob, shall we? We left him off as he was addressing the Nephites at the temple. So that tells us quite a bit about the group that he's speaking to, doesn't it? Jacob is warning the people, well, basically about pride. Last week, he addressed the dangers of elevating yourself above others because of your abundance. Remember, Jacob had noticed, or the Lord had pointed out to him, that the Nephites were beginning to wear stiff necks and high heads because of the costliness of their apparel. The Nephites were beginning to have enmity toward their fellow men. And remember the definition of President Ezra Taft Benson. The definition of enmity that he gave us is that it's a hatred toward, or a hostility to, or in a state of opposition. And isn't it fascinating how abundance, especially of wealth, can foster enmity towards those with less? I personally don't think it's just riches. It is often wherever we feel that we are abundant in. Maybe we are really good at organizing. Perhaps you're abundant in humor and friendships and education and energy and wit. Maybe you're really savvy or just you're abundant in security. Whatever it may be, the temptation is there to fool us into thinking that we are somehow better or more valuable or more of worth or more esteemed because of it. But Jacob sets us and his people straight, reminding us that we are all flesh and all flesh is of the dust. There isn't special dust. And to be in harmony with God, especially when we are given an abundance of something, we should think of our brethren like unto ourselves, be familiar with all, and to be free with our substance, that they may be rich like unto us. But before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches, if ye seek them. And ye will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry, and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. That was part one. Now for part two. And I get the impression this is a difficult subject for Jacob to speak on. If it wasn't, I don't think it would have taken 10 verses for Jacob to build up to his intent for speaking to this people. At least that is how I see verses 1 through 10 in Jacob chapter 2. He makes it clear to his audience that he is acting in the full capacity of his calling. He is magnifying his office with soberness so that he can rid himself, or as he says, rid my garments of your sins, and to declare to them the word of God. He tells them that he has been weighed down with much more desire and anxiety for the welfare of their souls than he has ever been. I find in verse 4 in Jacob 2, to be important, Jacob says, For behold, as yet 
Ye have been obedient unto the word of God, which I have given unto you. This verse also tells us something about the people who are listening to him. They have come to the temple. They are there with their families. And they have been obedient to the word of the Lord that Jacob has taught them. So really, they sound like you and I. And Jacob is about to deliver a sermon of warning to them, a big, huge warning saying, do not enter. Now, this sermon is also most prophetic because we see here the ability that God does give to his servants in order for them to serve him and to serve us. Continuing on in verse 5, it says, But behold, Hearken ye unto me, and know that by the help of the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth, I can tell you concerning your thoughts, how that ye are beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto me, and abominable unto God. The prophet Jacob was given wisdom and knowledge from God about the secret most workings of the people, even their thoughts. And the reason why verse 4 is so significant is because up until this point, the people had been receptive to Jacob. Remember, he had been their teacher for quite some time. And these were the same people who had loved Nephi exceedingly. They chose to be called after him. Their previous obedience provided them a tender mercy. The merciful Lord treated them better than they deserved in this moment and permitted their leader to know the inner workings of their thoughts so that he might call them to repentance effectively and completely. Have you ever considered that to be a tender mercy of the Lord? So Jacob has been asked, no, he's been commanded by God to address this people. And he is going to need to work through his own personal grief about needing to address such a topic. And he's also going to have to work through the shame he feels on behalf of his people. Jacob is going to speak boldly and he regrets that it will be done in the presence of the women and children that are there because of their tender and chaste and their delicate feelings. And the area in which the people have been prideful, where they have both had enmity towards God and towards their fellow men, is they're excusing themselves in committing whoredoms and for finding reason to have many wives and concubines. So the verses that we're going to focus on today is Jacob chapter 2, verses 22 through 35, till the end of the chapter, and then all of chapter 3. And let's start with what Jacob says is pleasing to God. The Lord God is pleased by the tender, chaste, and delicate feelings of the wives and children who are there in attendance at this meeting. The very thing that we today try to apologize for or toughen up ourselves against are the very things that the Lord is pleased with. To have tender and to have delicate feelings is not to be weak. Though there are messages that float around in society that tell us otherwise. And to be chaste 
is to be morally clean in our thoughts and our words and our actions. Yes, it does mean to not have sexual relations before marriage and to have complete fidelity to your spouse during marriage. But it is also to have your thoughts and your words aligned up with truth as well. And people who do this, I find, are incredibly strong and unshakable. They are confident and they are unashamed and they find no pleasure or entertainment in immorality. Sister Scriptorians, don't be ashamed of your tender feelings. Don't think of yourself as weak for being delicate when exposed to the harshness of sin. But instead, recognize the strength that is available to you because of your choice to be chaste. Remember that God is pleased by those who are chaste. And in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, verse 45, the Lord counsels us to let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. Virtue means strong and pure, which is a blessing that comes from being chaste. Because God is so pleased with your use of agency, he then promises beautiful blessings in verse 46. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter and unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion. And without compulsory means, it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. We become blessed with confidence. (laughs) Having the Holy Ghost as our constant companion to have the ability to rule and to govern our lives in righteousness and truth and to have the power to be in control of our lives without force, but to have it flowing unto us. God is pleased with those who are chaste. And he says in verse 28 in Jacob that he delights in the chastity of women. I'm confident that this also applies to his sons as well. But in this context, Jacob is expressing God's feelings regarding his daughters who have remained chaste. We also learn that God delights in the pure in heart. Remember from Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 when the Savior is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches us that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And we'll speak more about that in a few minutes. But God also delights in loving family relationships, the love between a husband and a wife, and their love for their children. Jacob reminds the people that father and prophet Lehi, he had received the commandment before regarding this topic. They knew that they had received the commandment, yet they were breaking it anyway. So as a review, Jacob clarified God's word in verse 27 of chapter 2. For there shall not any man among you have, save it be one wife, and concubines he shall have none. So this commandment had been given all the way back to prophet Lehi regarding this people that the Lord was separating from Jerusalem and bringing to the promised land. Now, For the Latter-day Saints, this commandment may bring up questions and concerns regarding our own church history regarding polygamy. 
We definitely follow this commandment now, but what about the past? So let's take a look at verse 30. The Lord host tells us a little bit about his mysteries regarding this commandment. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. So if the Lord determines that the people must multiply to raise up seed unto him, he will command it. Otherwise, a man will have one wife and have complete fidelity. During this time that Jacob is addressing the Nephites, there had been some misunderstanding when they were reading the scriptures regarding David and his son Solomon, who had had many wives. Some of these wives were condoned by God, but both men sought after more than what the Lord condoned. And the Lord instructs the Nephites that this was abominable before him. And frankly, the Lord just isn't going to tolerate the breaking of this commandment. He isn't going to suffer, or he's not going to tolerate the cries of his daughters to come up unto him from the Nephites like he experiences from his daughters in Jerusalem. And wherever his people are, he won't allow his sons to lead away the daughters of this people because of their tenderness, because it is precious unto him. This commandment and our obedience to it is so important that the Lord warns his sons that if they do not repent, the Lord will visit them with a sore curse, even destruction. Remember, the curse is his withdrawal from them. And also the land will be cursed for their sakes. So remember from last week at the beginning of this address, Jacob remarks on how the hand of providence hath smiled upon the Nephites, most pleasingly that they have obtained many riches from the land of promise. But to continue to break this commandment of chastity will bring a curse upon the land. And the Lamanites will become a scourge to them until the Nephites are destroyed. If that isn't clear enough on how strongly the Lord feels about chastity among his people, the Lord even gets more specific to them. He warns in Jacob chapter 3 verse 4, And the time speedily cometh that except ye repent, the Lamanites shall possess the land of your inheritance, and the Lord God will lead away the righteous out from among you. Spoiler alert! This warning will come to pass. Eventually, the Lord will lead a man named Mosiah out from the land of Nephi, and take with him as many as will hearken unto the voice of the Lord. They will be commanded to depart from the wickedness of the land of Nephi, and they will travel in the wilderness, and they'll be led by the power of the Lord's arm until they come to the land of Zarahemla. It's there that they will discover a people who have also been led out of Jerusalem, who are not a part of Lehi's seed, but who crossed the ocean and were led to the promised land. And as far as the Lamanites possessing the land, this too will eventually happen. It will take time, but the Nephites will eventually be in bondage to the Lamanites, and then the Lamanites will possess the land of Nephi. But then we also know that eventually the Lamanites will possess all the land of promise. I believe, as Jacob is speaking, a very humbling moment for the Nephites 
must have been when Jacob began to convey the Lord's feelings about the Lamanites. Remember, the Lamanites were the Nephites' enemies at this time. The Nephites abhorred the filthiness of the Lamanites. And the cursing that had come upon them must have been very clear to them. The effects of the withdrawal of God's power and his workings among them must have been very obvious and it may have planted some seeds of pride or feelings of superiority in the Nephites' hearts. But the Lord told them, not so fast. The Lord told the Nephites that the Lamanites are more righteous than you. The Lamanites had not forgotten the commandment that had been given to Lehi. Remember, the Lamanites are without the brass plates. Nephi took those with him when he departed into the wilderness, but the Lamanites were able to remember and they were obeying the commandment to have one wife and no concubines. Not only have they kept this commandment, but their husbands love their wives. And the wives love their husbands, and their husbands and wives love their children. Because of their obedience to this commandment, the Lord won't destroy them. He'll be merciful unto them. And one day, they will become a blessed people. And as far as their cursings go, the Nephites are reminded that Their unbelief, like the Lamanites' unbelief and hatred for the Nephites, is because of the iniquity of their fathers. So the Nephites are given a commandment to elevate themselves, really, and to let go of this hatred that the Nephites have towards the Lamanites. The Lord commands the Nephites to revile no more against the Lamanites because of the darkness of their skins. Neither shall ye revile against them because of their filthiness. But ye shall remember your own filthiness and remember that their filthiness came because of their fathers. Or in other words, your abundance in the word of God and the blessings because of it does not elevate you or make you better than your brethren. God is not a respecter of persons. And his purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and the eternal life of all men. If you choose God, you are God's chosen. Finally, the last humbling to the Nephites that I see is the Lord's counsel to remember your children. The Lord reveals to the Nephite fathers that they have grieved their children's hearts because of the example that they've set before them. They had also broken the hearts of their tender wives and lost the confidence of their children. God had heard the sobbings of their hearts. And then the Lord likens the situation of the children of Laman and Lemuel unto them by saying, Remember that ye may, because of your filthiness, bring your children unto destruction, and their sins be heaped upon your heads at the last day. I imagine that this warning would have felt very real and heavy to this generation of Nephites. There were those among them who had witnessed the withdrawal of the Lord's Spirit among their brethren and had seen the effects that it had had on their brethren that had led to misunderstanding and hatred towards the Nephites. So, 
likening this chapter to us. Living in a world that is far from chaste. Whereas parents in these days, it is no longer if your child sees pornography, but it is when your child sees pornography. It is humbling for me to be reminded of the importance and the reverence that the Lord God places on chastity and complete fidelity within marriage. We have seen the effects of not abiding to this commandment and the destruction that it has had on our families and in our society. And it is a good reminder that never ever has the Lord lifted this commandment with a warning from those who possess the promised land or for any of his children. And we see the struggles emotionally that comes from unchaste thoughts and feelings and actions when those things are allowed admittance into our lives. Fear, guilt, shame, bitterness, jealousy, and hatred, those are all nutrients for the adversary to grow within and to do his work in filling us with lies that are distracting us from our worth and our potential. But the Lord has provided a way to unshackle us from this path, a path that at times can look alluring or exciting and enticing, but will lead us to destruction, both within ourselves, but our relationships with others and with God. He has provided himself, his atonement. He has provided a path to repentance, and it is real, and it is complete, and it is available to all. So finally, let's get back to the pure in heart through continual repentance and diligence and striving to become like our Savior, we can be pure in heart. And perhaps your heart has been broken by the choices of another, the weakness and the error of someone you love and trust. Please consider Jacob chapter 2 and 3 as a love letter to you from your Heavenly Father and your Savior. The pure in heart can be greatly affected by the unchaste actions of others. Unchaste actions and behaviors are offensive to the pure in heart. And in the midst of trying to reconcile your feelings and thoughts around such deeds, lies can creep in sometimes if we don't fortify ourselves. Lies like, if only I was different, or what is wrong with me? How could I have stopped this? Is there any way past this rejection and betrayal? And what is to be done? You see, even someone else's unchaste actions have the possibility of feeling like a rejection and a betrayal to someone who is chaste. And at this time, feelings of loneliness can creep in. And you may wonder if the hurt can ever be healed. Or if there's anyone who might fully understand. Beginning in Jacob chapter 3. He specifically addresses you, you who have been a victim, either of someone intimate with you who has betrayed their covenants with you, or really all of us who live in an unchaste world. Jacob addresses the pure in heart, and he gives them a path. Because when such heartache occurs in your life, what you're looking for is a path, isn't it? Jacob counsels the pure in heart to look unto God with firmness in mind. I like that counsel. This isn't a time to not be chaste in every sense of that word. 
refer back to what we talked about earlier. To be morally clean in thoughts, words, and actions, and to let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. In other words, hold to your power. Do not allow the lies of Satan to tell you that there is something wrong with you and your choice to be chaste with your delicate feelings regarding filthiness and keep your worth firmly within your grasp. Hush all of those defeating lies and look to God with firmness in mind. Number two, pray unto God with exceeding faith. This isn't the time to doubt what you know and who you are. This is the time to double down and to double up what you know and then act upon all of it, including love, forgiveness, the worth of souls, the atonement, priesthood power, all of it. Number three, he counsels us then to lift up our heads I'm not exactly sure what this means, but I can give you my interpretation. When I become overwhelmed with grief and worry, I tend to look down and then I zone out from my surroundings. I become consumed with my thoughts as my brain is desperately trying to solve the problem. And it's so discouraging when it's not even my problem that I really have much control over. And what happens is that I then become discouraged and I become numb to what is going on around me, numb to the beauty that surrounds me, numb to friendships, numb to where I'm needed, and also numb to counsel from the Lord. So the counsel to lift up my head is perfect for me, to get me out of myself and to then be able to be open to the directions and the mercies of the Lord. Jacob then says to the pure in heart, receive the pleasing word of God. And this can come through our prayers, through the kindness of others, through our study of the scripture and the words of the prophets. Receive the pleasing word of God and expect the blessings that are promised. It may take time, but expect them to manifest in your life. I counsel you to not see your circumstances as the exceptions to the word of God but exactly to what the Lord is referring to, and then feast upon his love. Let him love you by you loving you. What do I mean by that? Love how you're trying to do what's right. Love how you're trying. Love that when you mess up, you come right back to him in prayer to receive forgiveness and sanctification and some more direction and love how you then go back out and try again. Love what you have to contribute. Love your tender, chaste, and your delicate feelings. Love all of it. Love all of you. And as you do, you will feel that these are exactly the same things that God loves about you. And then just feast upon that love. Enjoy it. So what can you expect once you've gone through this process? What blessings should you expect and then highlight in your scriptures? Jacob tells us the blessings that the Lord will give us. He will console you in your afflictions. He will plead your cause. He will send down justice upon those who seek your destruction. And you will feel his love if your minds are firm forever. I believe that this sacred experience 
is exactly how the pure in heart come to seek God. And this is available to all of us, no matter the circumstances we face, but especially when we're hurting. The Lord knows what we need when we're hurting. He knows what our heart needs, and He will provide. Sister Scriptorians, embrace your tender, chaste, and your delicate feelings. God is pleased with you because of these feelings and desires to be pure in heart. So look unto Him with firmness of mind. Pray with exceeding faith. Lift up your head and receive the pleasing word of God. And then feast, feast upon his love. Make it a great day.